It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guy's Guy's Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guy's Guy's Radio, we're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you with the stories, the insights, and the experiences of myself and our guests on Guy's Guy's Radio that may help you think feel, and who knows, maybe even act and kind of look beyond the fence in your backyard and see what else is out there. I know everybody's busy and we've been all, you know, we've got COVID still going on, rampant. We've got the crazy election stuff and everybody's under a lot of pressure and under a lot of financial pressure as well as stress. So I try to bring you guests that can give you some new information or entertain you and just take you out of the, you know, the mainstream for a little bit and give you some new insights and maybe help you think, feel, and act in a different way that'll help you live your best life. Guys, Guys Radio. We've got a great guest today. We've got somebody from the world of entertainment, an actor. Her name is Daphne Maxwell-Reed. She is also a photographer, a cook, cookbook author, a designer, clothing designer, and she's an advocate. And you probably are familiar with her from many roles on TV and film, but most prominently, she's known for her role as Aunt Vivian on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And you may be aware that this Thanksgiving weekend, there is going to be a mega reunion of that Will Smith-led show, Fresh Prince. I think it's the 30th year reunion. And all the cast members who are alive are going to be back and it's going to be a lot of fun, and Daphne Maxwell-Reed is going to be part of it, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Fresh Prince and so much more here on Guys Guys Radio. So it's going to be a fun show, and I hope you can uh, hang in there and uh, get to know Daphne because she's really, really a nice person. I have to make a little caveat. When I did my interview with Daphne, I was uh, one day home from the hospital after an emergency appendectomy, which usually, usually doesn't happen when you're, when you're my age, but it did, and it really knocked me for a loop. So I did my best. The, uh, the video version of the interview is going to be on our YouTube channel, Robert Manny, uh, Guys Guys TV, and I did my very best with it, and she was wonderful, and uh, I, think, I think you're going to enjoy it. So, you know, a lot of times I'll do something called the, the Guys Guys Guide, and I haven't done too many lately. But um, I want to do one now because I know people are under such financial stress. This whole COVID thing about, well, if we don't get back out there, businesses, more businesses are going to go under, yet we don't want to put ourselves at risk. And can the economy get going uh, if we don't get a handle on COVID or not? And my perspective is, and I don't know if you agree with me, but unless you get your arms wrapped around this thing, people are going to be afraid to get out there the way they did in the past. They're going to be afraid to spend money. They're going to be afraid to travel and make major purchases. And they're going to be afraid about losing their jobs. So um, we've got to really focus on uh, doing the best we can with getting a handle on COVID. And I think once we make some progress there, and if people wear, our ma- wear the mask, wash the hands, social distancing, all, doing all that stuff that we're sick of doing, frankly, that's our best chance, and we'll see what happens with the new administration and their task force and this vaccine they've been talking about. But until then, we're, we're on our own, and our, to me, the best medicine is uh, preventative. So do what you can to protect yourself and your family and protect and respect others. So, But as part of that, there's the whole economic stress that uh, the COVID has put on us. So I put together something that was on my website 
uh, and I updated it for the show. And it's really, there's 10 tips to kind of save money in your day-to-day life. Now, I know we all want to, uh, we all want to support our local businesses, and we do the best we can, but also we want to stay healthy and we want to be, we have to think of ourselves financially also. So let me give you 10 quick tips on how you can save some money in your day-to-day because, you know, when things happen, you've got to adapt a little bit. You can't just do everything the exact same way forever. So number one, uh, think about your alcohol consumption. You know, if you're going to drink, um, and drinking's expensive, drink at home. You know, and before you go, if you go out, don't drive, of course, but maybe you have a cocktail or something at home and then you go out and you have one with your friends if you're at an outdoor place. And also eating at home versus eating out all the time. Um, for the most part, if you can learn to cook and eat, you can choose your food and you're going to get healthier food for the most part if you eat at home. So consider doing more of that. If people think fast food is cheap and, um, you know, a lot of people like it, but, you know, fast food is not that cheap. If you look at the prices on the menu board and you add it up and you look at your bill after you've ordered lunch or dinner or whatever, it, it can add up. So think about fast food. Is, is, it a necessi- is it a necessity or is it a luxury? And ask that question on a lot of things. Necessity or luxury before you spend money. Uh, also, don't get sucked in by the temptation of online purchasing. Of course, everything's on sale. There's inventory backs up with everything. So just be careful not to just just keep buying stuff online because you can get free shipping, whatever. If you do buy stuff, you might consider, you know, some places, I know we want to support the local businesses, but these big places like Costco and all that, if you need like a couple of big tubs of peanut butter, uh, organic uh, peanut butter, you can eat Valencia, you can get it there at a very good price. So think about some of those places. And for gas, too, it's pretty cheap. Um, an investment in organic and clean food, probably, even though initially it's a little more expensive, it's going to keep you healthier. So ultimately, it becomes less expensive if you look at the long-term effects because you are what you eat. So consider that. Uh, number nine, maybe hold off on those major purchases for about six months or so because uh, I think things uh, can't sustain the way they are. If all of these people and businesses are not paying their rent and everything's being, the can is being kicked down the road, you know, ultimately somebody's going to have to pay. These bills aren't going away and I can't see how this economy is going to sustain itself this way and have real estate prices keep going up when there's bills to be paid and they're not getting paid. So we'll see what happens. Last but not least, you might want to set yourself some type of budget and really try to, for a month or two, keep track of what you're spending and see where the fat is there. So anyhow, those are my 10 tips to uh, money-saving habits and hacks uh, to help you get through this uh, COVID thing, particularly around the holidays. So our special guest today on Guys Guys Radio is Daphne Maxwell-Reed, one of the stars of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Let's get started right now. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, I've got a special, special guest who you all know. Everybody remembers Daphne Maxwell-Reed as the iconic TV mom from 1990s or three seasons as Aunt Vivian on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And she couldn't be more excited when the cast of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunites. 30 years later for an unscripted reunion, special airing on HBO Max on Thanksgiving weekend. And she also stars in The Business of Christmas, which is coming out on Netflix on December 1st. I mean, 
Daphne is really a special person. She's what I would call a quintessential Renaissance woman. She's a respected artist. She's a designer. She's an education activist. She worked working from her home in Virginia, happily married to the pioneering TV actor, producer, writer, director, who we all know, Tim Reed, from the fame of WKRP in Cincinnati, Frank's Place, Sister, Sister. Daphne Maxwell Reed is living proof that a passion for creativity and a dedication to hard work can ensure a lifetime's worth of success. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Daphne Maxwell Reed. Ah, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. Uh, Let's start. Let's start at the beginning. Um, how excited are you about the 30-year reunion of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and how did that all come about? I am very, very, very excited to see how they've um, edited it. We had a blast shooting it last month. Um, Will's company called and said, "Would you like to participate in a reunion?" and I don't think any of us said anything, but sure. <laughs> so we all showed up and he feeded us well while we were in L.A. And we had a blast. There were lots of surprises. He liked surprises. So we had a lot of surprises and the audience is going to have a lot of surprises. But it was a terrific gathering. It was great to be with everybody at the same time. We're used to being with each other, maybe one or two at a time, but uh, getting everybody together at the same time was a blast. Now, the show was uh, it was a real breakthrough. I'm I'm a little older than the the demo was for that time. Um, So I I didn't see it that often, but I remember it. And I went back and watched a few episodes and I was really I was really inspired because uh, there was one scene between Will and Carlton where Carlton is. He's uh, talking about the fact that his dad's not really paying attention to him and will basically let him know that, hey, what do you think about my dad? He's not around. And, you know, you had the Jeffersons and then you had the Huxtables with the Cosby show. Fresh Prince took it to the next level. And you had that kind of fish out of water kid from the urban you know, city going to a high end neighborhood and really uh, laying out a lot of uh, very relevant issues way back then. Um, in a fun, uh, a fun, very creative way. And I thought what was really sad, though, is that those issues haven't changed that much. But that's why we're working on our third generation of viewers, because their grandparents watched it when it first came out and their parents watched it as teenagers. And then now those folks have grown up and have children who are now watching it. I, I'm thrilled with stopped and called Aunt Vivian by folks who are 70 and folks who are 30 and folks that are 15. It's really, really, um, it's a it's a grand thing that I was part of that. I'm so honored that I got to work on that show. I didn't want to work on that show when it first started. I was uh, kind of finishing up a couple of back-to-back series with my husband and we were going to Virginia for a rest. <laughs> and they said, okay, we had an audition for you for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, it's a young rapper. And I said, I am not working with a young rapper right now. Thank you. Have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> but I get to the farm. I'm lollygagging around in the fall and the show comes on. 
I said, what a cute show. I loved the fact that they had so many disparate characters. Yes. Everybody had their own personality, their own point of view, their own thing, <laughs> which they solidly kept for all six seasons, which I think was just amazing and, and wonderful to watch Bloom. How did you get on the show? Because you came on about midstream, right? I came on after three years, yes. Uh, I got a call at the farm, <laughs> lollygagging around with my tractor, and uh, they said, uh, we would like you to come and audition for the role of Aunt Vivian on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And before I hung up the phone, I was already on the plane. I mean, I, <laughs> I was ready to go. Mm. And I got there, and it was two weeks of auditions. I must have had five or six auditions. And every time I showed up for a callback, there were women there that I have never seen before in my life. So I think they scoured the universe for Aunt Vivian. But by the third audition, I got to audition with James Avery. Mm -hmm. And we fell in love. I mean, I loved that man. He was such a wonderful, wonderful person. And we, I guess, clicked because we clicked on through the rest of those auditions and I got the job. I was thrilled, absolutely thrilled. Now, was this a new character? No, it was the same character, Aunt Vivian. Uh, it had been played by someone else before. Okay. And I have no idea why she left. I still don't know why she left or what was going on that caused her to leave. In my heart of hearts, I thank her for giving me the opportunity to have that job, but um, we never discussed why she had mm -hmm. left. Like a new job for me, but it was the old family just moving on just as comfortably as if I had been there the whole time. What was it like working with such a uh, talented, eclectic cast? Well, it wasn't my first rodeo, so... <laughs> It was exciting to see, especially Will, because he had more energy than any 10 people that I've known. And watching him bloom as an actor yeah. was really exciting. And watching the young kids, Tatiana, grow up on television and bloom into the beautiful woman that she is now, it was like I was watching my family grow. It really was an exciting time. Um, the characters that they played became iconic. Yes. But the people who embodied those characters are the kindest, sweetest people, and they are not like those characters, mostly. They're very different than their characters. So they're fine actors as well. And James Avery was just consummate. He was like the rock for the whole group. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you, do you think the characters were selected as uh, archetypes for different types of, you know, the father figure, the uncle figure, the, you know, the, the type of son, one son, another son, the aunt, or was it just, you know, a creative, like, let's put these, you know, chemistry type of thing? I was not there when they did all that selecting, but mm -hmm. it was all built around uh, Will. Okay. And I think uh, they needed to cast it so that he would have several different points of view to uh, react to. Right. So they did a brilliant job, I think. Thank you, Quincy Jones. <laughs> a lot of important names there. I saw that uh, Debbie Allen directed, right? 
She directed the pilot uh, uh, and uh, yeah. some of the first F I was not there when she was directing, but she has worked with us on other projects uh, that mm -hmm. my husband and I have done. So mm -hmm. I know Debbie Fantastic. and Felicia very well. Okay. When uh, I've, I've interviewed uh, some cast members from the Sopranos, another iconic uh, American yes. TV series, and they, to a person, have said, oh my goodness, we were so close and we still stay in touch. When you guys were working together on the show, was there that type of family chemistry there? And then afterwards, did you, how did you guys and how do you stay in touch? While we were doing the show, um, there was a chemistry, but it was an on-set chemistry, a, a very warm um, chemistry on set and in the confines of the show. When we left on Friday nights, the kids went off and had a life. James went off and had a life. And I went off and had a life. So it wasn't as though we were hanging out together. James and his wife and Tim and I used to hang out a little bit together. We used to travel together. Uh, we've, we've had some wonderful times together. But the younger kids were the younger kids. We weren't going to hang out the same places they were hanging out. But right. since the show was over, we've been through weddings and we've been through births and we've been through funerals and we have sure. been very close, very, very close. So let's uh, what, let's talk about the upcoming special a little bit more. Um, what's the idea behind it? Uh, what's going to be new? Can you give us a little tip on any surprises or, or not? No. It's OK. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like fun, and it was Will's idea. And it was Will's idea, and uh, he, uh, I can tell you that he introduced, because the photo's already been off, he introduced the young man who is going to be uh, working with him on the new series of Fresh Prince that's a dramatic take on Fresh Prince that oh, I think great. is going on the Peacock Network. So he was really excited about that, and we got to meet the young man who did the kind of test pilot on his own that Will uh, saw and said, let's do this together. Okay, let's take a, uh, and again, that's on uh, Thanksgiving weekend, HBO right. Max. Yes. Uh, why don't we, uh, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio is Daphne Maxwell-Reed, and she is a Renaissance woman, and I'm so glad she's here. Let's go in the Wayback Machine. Where, where did you grow up, and how did you kind of make your way towards acting? I know you were one of the, if not the first uh, black uh, homecoming queens for your uh, university, as well as one of the first African-American cover models for Glamour. Um, how did you- I was the first. The first, okay, sorry. Um, how did you get started in the business? Ah, I grew up in the projects in New York City, but uh, my focus was on education, and I liked all the cultural things that were going on in New York. So, of course, I- worked when I was a teenager as an usher at the New York State Theater, where I saw a lot of great theater and um, used to sing with the all city junior high and high school chorus. So I got to sing in Carnegie Hall and the Philharmonic Hall. I had little tastes of the arts, but there was never um, an inclination to make the arts a way of life. Uh, I couldn't see enough examples of a black woman um, doing that and making a living. So <laughs> we focused on education and I went to college to be a teacher. Really? And uh, <laughs> a Spanish teacher. And I got there, uh, went to Northwestern University, 
which was at that time not very integrated. I was one of 36 black students in a population of about 5,000. So it was an interesting turn of culture for me, having grown up in New York City, which is totally multicultural. Um, I learned that I was black at Northwestern University, <laughs> where they kept throwing it up in my face. Right. Um, but it, I guess, didn't bother me how they viewed me, because I knew who I was, and I had the strength to stand on my own two feet, and I just thought they were ignorant. So <laughs> I went on about my life. I was um, my junior high school teacher from New York kind of recommended me to do something for Seventeen magazine because I had gotten a scholarship and they did what they used to call the real girl issue in January of 1967, which was my freshman year at college. And I got to be a full page on the large format Seventeen magazine. And um, from that, I was discovered by the modeling agent of the day, <laughs> who was um, very well known. Eileen Ford had an agency that was just very well known. And she asked me to be a part of her roster. Well, I was living in Chicago at the time, going to school, and she was in New York. So... I was going back and forth between New York and Chicago doing modeling. And on one of those trips, I got a picture taken in like 15 minutes at a studio and went back to school. And when I walked past the newsstand that fall, I saw that I was on the cover of Glamour magazine. Wow. And That's I a surprise. The first black woman on the cover of Glamour magazine, but I had no idea I was shooting a cover. Wow. It just, it was a quick thing. How did you feel? So it was exciting. It was funny to me. It was really, well, why didn't they tell me? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And why didn't they tell you? <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe they I thought it would make you too nervous or something it, like that, no, but you seem very was, chill. I don't think that they planned it. I think it happened and the, they liked the picture and they used it as a cover. Okay. Um, I had already been Northwestern's first black homecoming queen. So I had had press before that and I had done a lot of editorial modeling for different magazines, but never looked toward modeling as a career. Didn't look toward acting as a career, although I had spent probably a number of Saturdays in my high school years with a group called the Group Theater Workshop that became the Negro Ensemble Company. Mm -hmm. okay. And Robert um, Hooks was running that. And dear, dear friend, that was the only acting I had done until I graduated from college, was living in Chicago, and started doing commercials. And with commercials came the idea, oh my goodness, I could make a living at this. Mm -hmm. And from that, Robert Conrad from the original Wild Wild West, yeah, and you can't yep. knock this battery off my right. shoulder. This is for the older folks who know I what know. I'm talking Bob, about. Bob Black Sheep. And all, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Robert Conrad did a show in Chicago called The Duke, and he hired me to play a part, and it became a recurring part. And that was my introduction to 
becoming a working actress. And from that, I moved on out to Los Angeles and Robert Conrad was doing another show. So I got to be on that show and got an agent. And then the blessings just started flowing. I just kept working through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And I had a wonderful career. It sounds like it, because I was going to ask you about what was the journey like being as an, an actor, a struggling actor for many, uh, a woman, uh, because it's tougher for a woman, and then for an African-American, even tougher. So it sounds like you just rolled. Well, I was in the right place at the right time. I think the early 70s and the mid-70s and the late 70s, there were a lot of um, looking to bridge the gap of no blacks on television. They had a black show, but they didn't know how to integrate the black actors into what they were already doing because they didn't have any <laughs> idea how to relate the culture, I'm sure, or whatever. But it was a time where they were using light-skinned Black people to kind of bridge, ease people into watching Black people on television. And I happened to be a light-skinned Black girl who was not Black enough for a lot of Black things. And I was Black, so I couldn't do a lot of white things. But right. it, the timing was perfect. And I happened to get job after job after job. And on each job, I looked behind the camera to make sure I knew exactly what everybody was doing so I could enhance how they made me look. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> and, very smart. And I had a very prolific career, just one step at a time. So after Fresh Prince, where did you go from there? And how did Fresh Prince end? And was there an ending of, of the show, the storyline, if you will? And then where did everybody go from there, particularly yourself, obviously? Well, I went back to the farm, which, which yeah. is a good place to go. Um, everybody knew that the last year was going to be the last year because okay. Will told us we're doing one more year Got and it. then I'm moving on. So he gave us an opportunity to get our ducks in a row, as they say, mm -hmm. and to plan what our next move was going to be. So the young actors were planning what they were going to do next. I had already had a 15 and 20 year career on television. So I wasn't concerned about making a plan. I was going back to Virginia to relax. And we had built a studio in Virginia. So <laughs> relaxation was out of the question. We built Virginia's first full service film studio. Okay. And I became a studio head. So I was very busy helping other people make projects, helping my husband do his movies and his television series. And we happened to do one for Showtime that I loved. Mm -hmm. And it was called uh, Lynx. And I remember it. I remember it. Our studio. And uh, it, was a, it was a hoot to shoot. People don't realize that there's other filming taking place outside of L.A. and New York. There's uh, your studio, uh, Screen Gems, I think, has a big operation in uh, Now in, in Atlanta. Atlanta. Right, yeah. yeah. When moved. we first built the studio in 1997, there were not independent studios. Mm -hmm. And we kind of pioneered that kind of independence, but the whole industry changed because not only was Canada 
giving away money to come shoot in Canada. Mm-hmm. But then other states started giving incentives to come shoot. And we could not get our legislature to do those incentives. So a lot of our clients wouldn't come to us because we had no state incentives. So we had to kind of make the studio work for our independent projects, which we did. And every once in a while, uh, Steven Spielberg would come and shoot a couple of scenes at the studio. But um, after a while, it got very difficult to be creative and to sell and distribute and produce with just my husband and I. So... We said, okay, time's up. Okay, got <laughs> it. We sold the studio. But it was it was very successful while it was there. And we've moved on to a little bit more calm lifestyle. And <laughs> he still has a smaller studio and is doing wonderful documentaries and teaching. And he just put up a new network called GFNTV.com. And um, he's programming a network which is something he's really good at and has lots of content for it. He's He calls himself a content creator, which is what he does. Mm-hmm. And with all the different outlets that there are now, there's a real need for content. That's very true. How did you guys uh, actually meet? And you've been married for close to 40 years? Almost, yeah. And what are the keys, in your opinion, Daphne, to a successful marriage and a successful Hollywood type of marriage? Well, we were both married to other people when we met. Okay. And uh, we were working together in Chicago. I didn't much notice him. He didn't much notice me. It was just somebody else I was working with. But when I moved out to California, he was out here, and some of our Chicago buddies all got together. And uh, one said, do you remember that guy, Tim Reed? I'm going... Vaguely, <laughs> I don't. And he gave him my phone number and he called me and we had a quick, supposedly five minute date. And the five, we were both divorced by that time. And the little five minute date lasted five hours. And then it just bloomed from there. And that was in January, it'll be 40 years ago that we reconnected. And 38 years of marriage. And what? Now, uh, congratulations. Congratulations, by the way. In and Hollywood, 38 years of marriage is about 172. Our relationship was based on mutual respect. And you can have the love and all that burning love that all these young folks have. That fire gets a little dim sometimes. <laughs> but it's okay. (laughs) You have other things that really support each other rather than all that fire. And uh, to have respect for the person that you're with, to learn how to fight fair, to, let's see what other advice I would give. Listen, relationships are broken up because one party won't listen. Compromise is a must. There are no two people who can live together and have the same vibe all the time. Sorry, it, two people don't exist that are that mutually connected. So yes, there are a lot of different ways that you can support each other. And that's all you need is the idea that you wish the best for the other person. 
very sound advice. Thank you. I've been married 10 years. I waited a long time and I found the right person. And I asked her after three dates, I said, what do I need to be a good boyfriend? Because I've had a lot of relationships and obviously I'm here. So they didn't work out. And she said, she gave me the best advice I've ever gotten. But she said, pay attention. I said, anything else? She said, no. (laughs) (laughs) Act on the attention that you pay. Uh, My husband would say, you just have to learn two words. Yes, dear. When you learn those two words, everything will be fine. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what's it like collaborating then? Because you're in a creative business and you both have your own avenues that you go on when you do your work and getting together. Is there, you know, there's obviously every, all creators have some type of ego thing. How does the ebb and flow go between you and Tim? Tim is the very creative dreamer. He just he just creates. He wakes up in the morning, lifts his head off the pillow and says, I got an idea. <laughs> I'm the person who says, OK, let's make this idea work. Mm-hmm. So I do the business side. He does the creative side and we don't cross paths. <laughs> okay. I don't okay. try to do creative and he doesn't try to do business. He respects the fact that I can figure out the business part of it. He says, now, if I want to do this, what does that take? And I say, well, it'll take this, this, this and this. Can we do that? I'm going, mm, yeah, we can do that this time. That's yeah. how it works. Okay. Um, can you talk about uh, any of the other acting roles that you've had that are very significant to you, Daphne, since Fresh Prince? Because you've had a lot. What What really? Oh, before uh, really, Fresh Prince. No, were... no. Before or after or whatever that oh, really uh, are in your heart. Oh, Frank's Place. Okay. One of my favorite shows that my husband and uh, his partner, Hugh Wilson, created. It was a show that took place in New Orleans, and it was rich. It was just a beautifully done show. It was the first half-hour sitcom that was shot not before a live audience. It was shot film style. And it was rich with tradition and flavor and color and, and stories of Black people that had not been exposed before on television. And that was probably... One of my favorite roles, I was a mortician, (laughs) Hannah Griffin, and uh, kind of a love interest to the guy who ran the joint, Frank, who was played by Tim. So we've played opposite each other many times. We followed that with a show called Snoops that we shot out of D.C. and Los Angeles. And he created that show and we starred in it together. It was kind of like a Nick and Nora kind of investigative family, but he was a professor and I worked at the State Department and it was just a fun show to shoot. And then Lynx was one of my favorite shows. I got to play a hooker, (laughs) which- That's fun though, right? I was very good at. (laughs) (laughs) So it was so well written and and directed that, that I had a ball on that show. And then after Fresh Prince, I did a lot of little things like a cute little show that did not make it on the air, but it was called Exposed. And it was a TV newscaster um, who was doing just bizarre things. So it was a very funny show written by Peter Torque. And I had a ball doing that show, too, because I can sit there and do the news when it's mm-hmm. called for. Now, there but, was a, uh, a movie about Harriet uh, Tubman. 
And I, yes. she's she, uh, even from myself, and I, I'm not African American, obviously, but I lived in Harlem for the past ten years, and I used to walk past her st statue almost every day. And I read up on her, and uh, between her and Frederick Douglass, I lived on Frederick Douglass Boulevard. I really realized, though, that the, these people were heroes and are so underappreciated. And uh, it must have been special to work on a movie about her and twenty dollar bill with her on it. I have a copy of that $20 bill. It's coming? They had a, yeah, they had a stamp. <laughs> and uh -huh. they just stamped it right over the middle of the $20 bill. I treasure that. But I had the honor of auditioning for a role in that movie because they shot it right here in Virginia. And Cynthia Erivo was starring in it. And there was a black woman who was directing it. And there was a black woman who was producing it. And I said, yes, let us get this going. I had a very small part, and I felt so honored to be part of that cast. It was so well-written and so well-directed and so beautifully shot that, I mean, I'm, I'm as proud of that as I am of Fresh Prince. Oh, and Harriet was just a, a great introduction to that story. There are many, 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 many stories that we are not exposed to because our school books were not written with us in mind. So there's going to be a lot of information that's going to be new to a lot of folks, except the Black community. We mm -hmm. live with this history. We sure. know we helped to build America just as much as anybody yes. else did. Yes. So we're going to tell these stories now that we have the power to do that. Great. We're only lacking the power to green light movies. And that's coming soon. But Good. we are now behind the camera. We are department heads. We are directors. We are DPs. We are stars. We can mm -hmm. carry movies. They see that now. And they're finally getting ready to monetize that idea. Fantastic. Let's, uh, my, first of all, my special guest, Daphne Maxwell-Reed, once again on Guys Guys Radio. I mentioned that she's a Renaissance woman, so why don't we talk about some of your other uh, mega talents. You're a photographer. You've got yes. some photography books. You love to take pictures of do doors. And your dad, I think, was a photographer. So talk to us about that, your travels around the world, how you see through the camera and decide what you want to shoot, why doors, why Cuba, why some of the other countries you went to. My father was an amateur photographer. I mean, he would would dearly wanted to be a photographer, so he always shot pictures of the family. We had outings all over the place. Going to Central Park, going to church, we just always were getting shot by my dad. And he gave us cameras as kids. I had a little brownie camera probably when I was eight or nine years old and was able to take pictures then. Um, throughout my life, and I've lived a wonderful, rich life. I have never been without a camera or a sewing machine. They go with me everywhere. Mm. And about, oh, 15 years ago, I realized that I had been taking a lot of pictures of doors. And I didn't know why until I sat down and had to analyze it. I went to college to be a teacher but ended up changing my major to interior design and architecture because I was really very interested in the details of architecture. So that was probably living in the back of my mind when I traveled for 
all the work that we did. Tim and I had the pleasure of of doing things like being on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And he would send us, oh, we're going to Turkey next week. Okay, let's go to Turkey. <laughs> we're ready. We're packed. <laughs> Absolutely. But we had lots and lots and lots of travel. We traveled, uh, the two of us traveled extensively, even without television. So I love going to a new place and seeing the cultural aspect of whatever I happen to be. I like to see the textures, the foods, the colors, the architecture, and the rhythm of the people in those countries. So that's what I open myself up to. So I take pictures of craftsmanship, which happens to be uh, something that doors hold very much. Uh, And the craftsmanship of doors is just, not just how it's made, but what it represents because doors are a metaphor for life. Right. They represent adventure and curiosity and and opportunity. So it dawned on me, that's why I take pictures of doors, because I'm interested in making sure that people notice all the details in their lives that make their journeys rich. I've had some great journeys, but it's not getting from A to B that interests me. It's what's a and B all along the way that has really made my life rich. So I want to encourage people to do that by noticing details. So I started a whole collection of doors and started with a gallery showing of some of my um, photographs and people bought them. And I said, oh, <laughs> I could do this nice. business. <laughs> yeah, I, could, I, I could make this work. So that's how it started. Now you've got five books. What are the locations? I know Cuba is one of them. Well, the first book is multi-locations. I mean, the the first book includes Italy and Cape Verde and South Africa and um, France and a whole bunch of places that I went, my first book. And it was trying to see if I could write a book, if I could get somebody interested in the journey. And I did that. And the next one that I wrote was a photographic trip that I took with a group of photographers all down the west side of the Cuban island. I had been to Cuba about three times, and this trip, I went outside of Havana and Santiago, where I usually um, went, and caught the richness of that culture and how in their poverty, in their circumstance, they create art out of whatever they have. Right. And the exuberance of the people there and the lust for life is just amazing to see. So I got to photograph that one and I journaled that book mm-hmm. so that each city that we went to, I talked about the people and I talked about the flavors and the, the architecture, which is all different all over the island. So that was an interesting book. So that was my second one. My third one was a train trip I took. Uh, I had been in Venice uh, on an annual trip with a group called Save Venice Foundation. And um, I said, I'm going to take a side trip. And I got on the train and I went to Belgium. And I went to Antwerp and uh, Bruges in Belgium. 
And I just walked and walked and walked and I took pictures of doors and it was fascinating. The whole architecture of Belgium was so different from Italy and so mm -hmm. different from other places I had been. And then my fourth book was uh, France. And I was visiting with uh, the Virginia, oh, some kind of an art group that had a, a setup in Ovila, France. And I stayed there and then went on my way through other cities in France and uh, did a whole collection on France. So those wow. were my four books. And then my okay. fifth book turned out to be a cookbook. Yes, I wanted to get to that because um, we're running we're running short on time. But let's get okay. into the cooking. So your cookbook is called Grace Plus Soul Plus Mother Wit. Yes. So uh, so you have uh, recipes there, memoir. and you have. Okay. This is a memoir. It's a memoir that um, it's a cookbook that's spiced with personal memories. So these are forty years of collected recipes that from people that I worked with, from people that I had encountered on my travels, from people that mean something to me, family members and dear friends we shared meals with. Um, I've been collecting these recipes for many, many years. And finally, my girlfriend said, when are you going to get those recipes off your computer? <laughs> and mm -hmm. I said, oh, I have finally decided how I want to do it. So each recipe has a story at the beginning of it telling why I have this recipe there. And at the bottom of the recipe, it has the utensils that you'll need to prepare this. And there's humor and there's pathos and there's memories of, of wonderful people who are no longer with us. So there's a lot of richness. And I tell you how to set up a kitchen, what to keep in your kitchen. If you never cooked before, this is a good starter cookbook. I give you what? lots of information. So what's your go-to dish? And what's Tim's favorite? My go-to dish is it's just quick Italian food. I mean, I'll pasta it up with whatever's in the refrigerator. Cut it up, put some onions, garlic, and olive oil in it, and start with the spices. And hopefully I've got some live basil sitting in a jar, and I'm ready to go. How about your... Uh What's your philosophy of the balance between taste and health? Because out here, I notice I'm in, in California now. New York can get anything, and it's all it's all fun. Um, in California, every restaurant has the, all the options, everything. Yes. You know, vegan, vegetarian, you can get it all anywhere. What's your philosophy about the importance or not of you know health versus taste, or is it just moderation, or what? What's your point of view, Daphne? My point of view is health is personal. And everybody's different and be smart. That's all. If you want to indulge in something, do it to a minimum. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, enjoy your meal. <laughs> and if it's portion control that you need, just put a little bit on the plate. <laughs> <laughs> Sound advice. Last but not least, actually, there's two more areas I want to touch on. One is clothing design. You have some wonderful clothes. Uh, Chinese silk brocade jackets. Uh, where it's like wearable art. Tell us how you got into designing clothing, uh, putting all that together, and your vision. You've got some beautiful on your website, beautiful face masks. And like every, every realize that you know what? I think we're going to be wearing face masks for a little for while a longer. While. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. people are like, okay, I'll buy some of these and some of these. And it's I'm not going to say it's a, a you know it's it's utilitarian, but also there is a fashion aspect of it because oh, it's on your is. face. 
Oh, yeah. yes. And right now I'm doing, I'm this week, it's vote, vote, vote. I've got vote okay. fabric. <laughs> so Good. Um, those have been going well. Um, I've been sewing since I was nine years old. My mother was a seamstress and she sewed for other people and uh, she made a business out of it. I just sewed for myself for most of my life. And about six years ago, my husband was doing a fashion show to raise some funds for his institute. And he says, I want you to do a line of those things that you've been wearing and people have been stopping you in the street. <laughs> I started Good. making Good. Chinese silk brocade coats for myself maybe 15 years ago. And every time I wore one, somebody would stop and say, oh, where did you get that? I said, I made it. They said, oh, make me one. I'm going, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, finally. You're he a said, businesswoman. Uh, You're a good businesswoman. Sitting here at this sewing machine just knocking out. No, I got other things I'm interested in doing. <laughs> but with the fashion show, I made a dozen of them. They walked the runway. They bought them off the runway. And I said, oh, they do like these. I said, but I'm going to do it as a custom business. So it's a custom business. Uh, it's not cheap, <laughs> but I sell a lot of them and I still make a lot of them. And then the next year I did a line of uh, linen swing coats because that's another very popular coat that anybody can wear. And they went like hotcakes. So Correct. I'm still doing those by request. And one of the most important things that you do, not uh, where well, I know we're talking about it last, but you do educational advocacy. So could you share a little bit about that with us, Daphne? I mentor a lot of students. Uh, I was on the board of a college for about eight years uh, where we had to decide how to bring the best education for the best price to our students at a, an HBCU college, Virginia State University. And when I left that board, um, because I had... Um, been an advocate for them, and I was a very visible person around. Um, they said, you can't be a member of the board, but you're going to be an emeritus member. I said, that means you can call on me at any time, right? He said, yeah. <laughs> so awesome. that's what I do. I just do whatever they need done that needs to go out over the air. Well, Daphne Maxwell-Reed, you are a Renaissance woman, but also you're a very classy lady very smart and very nice and i'm i'm really honored and you're inspirational so i'm really honored to meet you you're my first video guest i i didn't do a shared screen i'm i'm in a little box up in the corner and you're <laughs> my entire screen and i'm going to leave it that way because you deserve it and we'll take it from there i don't know if everybody else is going to get that treatment but you are because you're wonderful really thank you so, so much robert and so, thank you for inviting me my pleasure. Uh, tell everybody where they can uh, find out more about you. And once again, the uh, Fresh Prince reunion, 30-year reunion, is on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving weekend. weekend on HBO Max. But you can find out all about me by just putting my name with a .com there, DaphneMaxwellReed.com. And Thank don't you. put a lot of extra letters in that Daphne. It's <laughs> only six letters long, D-A-P-H-N-E. Leave it at that. Maxwell Reed, R E I D dot com. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's Guys Guy Radio.
right. That was a fantastic uh, interview with the multi-talented Daphne Maxwell-Reed. She really does it all, and she's a great example of how you can keep building, uh, set a platform and foundation for your career and just keep building on it. Uh, what did we learn? What else? Well, I think we learned that some shows, TV shows, you know, become classics, as some songs and movies become classics, and it's usually because there's some kind of special magic there, whether it's that causes an emotional connection with the audience. And I think in the case of Fresh Prince, it was uh, you've had this uh, superstar in the making, Will Smith, of course, a real powerhouse actor and personality, very engaging, very likable. And then also you had a situation where you had that kind of like fish out of water where he's the kid from the inner city Philadelphia and he goes out to Beverly Hills and he is uh, embedded into a family that really has not shared a similar experience that he has. And it's really good for uh, anybody to watch the show to understand that you know, experiences and culture make a big difference in how people see the world and that we all need to realize that people are people and uh, we have to understand that people are going to see things through their own lens. We have to have some empathy there. there a couple of shows and situations stood out on the show that, um, that are timely. And I think one of the things about Fresh Prince that makes it a classic is that the show is very um, timeless. A lot of the situations on the show, unfortunately, when dealing with race and stuff, they could be replayed now because in some ways we haven't made that much forward progress. Uh, for instance, uh, when uh, Carlton, I believe, got pulled over by the cops and he's very apologetic about it and he was going very slow and he got pulled over and Will Smith, Will's character, is like very upset about that because, hey, here's a black dude getting pulled over by the cops. Why? He was going too slow. Come on now. And Carlton didn't really understand that. And I think that creates some awareness for the fact that, yeah, people have different experiences. And if you're white, Caucasian, whatever, you know, you, you may not get pulled over in the same type of circumstances that if you are a minority or an African-American and people have to be sensitized to that. Uh, another uh, situation that came up on one of the shows was um, Carlton was kind of taking his dad for granted and Will took exception with that because where Will came from and Will's own personal story in the show, you know, his father wasn't around. And that's a situation that happens far too often. And I think we need to have empathy for, uh, you know, sometimes these families get broken up and it's, it's tough for the kids. So uh, the, these are the type of situations that, that are timeless, that it was, you know, the, the show was in the 80s and the 90s, and it's still, they're still out there now, the same situation. So I really learned a lot from it. It's a fun show, too. And again, their uh, reunion is going to be on HBO Max over Thanksgiving weekend. It's going to be, be a big media event. So check it out if you get a chance. Uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, 30th Reunion. So happy you could join us for this show. Guys, Guys Radio, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. As I always like to say, guys, guys finish first.